0: Well, have you ever been at a store or a restaurant or a place in public and you see a child like acting crazy and you're like, whose child is that? Or maybe it was your child acting crazy and you're like, oh, my gosh, whose child is that? Like, you're not even going to claim them like you're that savage, like you're just not even going to claim them in that moment. Well, a couple of years ago, my daughter Nixon, who's five now, she was three at the time, was at Chick-fil-A with my wife. Darby. They were there with a friend and and their kids, and and so they were ordering the food and sitting down, and my daughter and all these other kids are playing at Chick-fil-A on the playground, and then all of a sudden, all the kids come running out of the playground. Like, they all come running out, and they're all freaking out, and and they're all, all the parents are, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? You know, and they're all saying, something stinks. Something smells. In the, play, on the, in the playground. And so they come, the, the manager comes, they shut it down. They, they, they get all the kids out. And, and, you know, all the parents are thinking, who whose kid would poop in the playground? Like on the playground, like whose kid would do that? And then Darby, my wife, begins to smell something on my daughter, Nixon, and she realized that in my daughter's dress and I'll call them girl underwear because I don't like the other words. So, so in her girl under, she pooped in them, went down the slide and got poop all over the slide, all over it. Okay. And so they all come running out. And in that moment, you want to be like, who's, whose child, who would do that? Who's, oh, it's my child that did it wonderful. And so they clean, they get all the kids out, they clean it all up. And then a week later, my wife goes back to Chick-fil-A with Nixon and it happened again. The exact same thing, clearing out of the playground. They get all the kids out, they clean it all up. Darby feels awful. She feels terrible. Now here's the, here's the real test Okay, if you are like the real deal Chick-fil-A employee is that when that happens, you still say, it's my pleasure. Okay, that's the real test. That's the real test if you're the real deal Chick-fil-A. I've been waiting for that joke for like three days. Okay, so, so that's the real test. Okay, that's the real test. Okay, so in that moment though, you want to be like, you want to be like, whose kid is that? Like even if it's your kid, you want that's the, you want you do you don't want to claim them in that moment, okay? And you know, a lot of times throughout the Gospels, people were wondering whose child was Jesus. Like whose kid is this? They they didn't know because he was claiming to be things like the Messiah or the Son of God or that God was his father. And so people were wondering, like whose kid is this? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's? Son? Doesn't he uh, come from Nazareth? Like wh- who is this? kid. And so in this series, we've been answering that question. Whose child was Jesus? Whose child is this? Because a lot of people didn't know. They didn't understand. In fact, in Luke 2, Luke says Jesus, when he's going through the genealogy of Jesus, he says, Jesus, the son of Joseph, or so it was thought, recognizing the culture, the context of the day that people were unsure about who this guy was. A great example of this is in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus, as a boy, is left at the temple. Like his parents, okay, are at the temple for Passover with tons of people. Okay, they've made this voyage with tons of people in this huge caravan to Jerusalem. They're at the temple. They're there for Passover, and then they leave with all these people, and they leave Jesus behind, like they leave town. Like some of you've left your kids, you know, different places before, right? Uh, 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 Or maybe that was just us. So, so you've done that before, but not many of us would say we've left town without our kids. I mean, it's the total home alone thing, right? I mean, you leave town and you've left your child behind. Well, they realize, Mary and Joseph realize, we've left Jesus. Like we can't find him anywhere. They're searching for him among the caravan. They can't find him. And so they go back to Jerusalem. They find Jesus and they ask Jesus, where have you been this whole time? What's been going on? And Jesus, because he's perfect and without sin, says, well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? To which Mary and Joseph, as parents, you gotta be like, Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, can you imagine being the parents to the son of God? Can you imagine that? And you're looking for him and you find him and you're like, where have you been? Why, why have you been hiding?" You know, and, and your son tells, well, didn't, you know, I'd be in my father's house. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, guys, you, you, Yes, you are my earthly parents, but I have a father in heaven. Now, imagine hearing that. Like moms, dads, imagine hearing that. Jesus claiming that someone else, that there was someone else, his father in heaven, who was his dad. Now, many of us have experienced the dad guilt or the mom guilt the insecurity that you have, like raising your kids, maybe that you aren't doing enough or you aren't good enough. Or when you make a mistake that you're like destroying your, your kids' lives, you know, or, or whatever with every little mistake. I mean, we're, we're constantly worried about that. Can you imagine the mom guilt and the dad guilt that would come with raising the perfect son of God? Can you imagine that? I mean, can you, can you imagine like being intimidated of your son? Some of you are like, you haven't met my son yet. Okay, so, so, but can you imagine like being intimidated of your son? I mean, raising the perfect, holy son of God. It might make you feel a little insecure. It might make you shy away. I mean, we do that with Jesus, right? We do that with God. Because of our sin, because of our mistakes, because of our mess-ups, we we want to hide from God, not seek him. We want to run from him, not run to him when we mess up, when we're feeling insecure, when we're feeling shame or guilt. So imagine Mary and Joseph raising this child. Who knows everything they think and every attitude and intention in their hearts. It would want to make you run and hide. I'm sure you can imagine. I'm sure you could put yourself in their shoes. But we do that and Mary and Joseph, if they felt like that, and I'm sure we can can imagine, we can assume that that's how they must have felt, that's how they would have felt, because we feel like that. When we feel like that, it's because we don't understand the nature of Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's accomplished for us. And so if you got a Bible open up to Hebrews, that's where we're gonna be tonight. We're gonna be all throughout the book of Hebrews and two and four and seven, eight, nine, and 9. T- I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna devour the book of Hebrews tonight. So if you got your Bible, turn there, go to Hebrews chapter two first. If you don't, go to the citylbk.church, click sermon notes, you can follow along with us. Okay, so we're gonna be in the book of Hebrews tonight. We're gonna look at the nature of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. And this is important because like Mary and Joseph, it gives us the reason and the ability and the hope and the security that we don't have to run and hide from Jesus. We can run to him when we fully understand who Jesus is and we fully understand his nature. So let's go. Hebrews chapter two. And here's what we're going to do tonight. Okay, this is going to be a little bit different because we've got more to do and more to look at, more to read tonight. And so when we come to a red part, okay, red, we're going to read it together, all right? Okay, and if we don't, we're going to stop and go back, okay? So just, just kind of prepare yourself, get ready. We're going to participate. We're going to do this together, okay? So when we come to a red part, you're going to read it out loud with me. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might... Break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human. But I I thought Jesus was God. We said that last week, right, that Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, was the Son of God. Whose child is this? Well, well he's God's child. He's, he's God. He's fully God. But the writer of Hebrews tells us here that Jesus was made fully like us. He was God in the flesh, and so he's fully God, but fully human all at the same time in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, watch this, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is God in the flesh. He's fully God, yet fully man at the same time. And as being fully God and fully man, he is our high priest. And as our high priest, he's made atonement for us and he exists to help us because he himself was tempted and was without sin. He's able to help us when we're being Tempted. So last week we said Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the son of God, and the Messiah is my peace. This week we're seeing that Jesus is God in the flesh, fully man, made like us in every way, in order to be our high priest, to make atonement for us, to help us in our time of need, to help us when we're being Tempted. He's our high priest. So last week we saw that, that our Messiah brings us peace. This week we're seeing that Jesus being our high priest, how he brings us peace. How? So what is the role of the high priest? Well, in one word, the role of the high priest, when you read through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the role of the high priest was to be a mediator. A mediator between man, Israel, and God, and so the mediator, the high priest, would make sacrifices for you, you would bring a sacrifice to your high, to the high priest, he would take the, the sacrifice it was a, always a, a spotless. Uh, animal, whether it was a lamb or a bull, it was spotless, uh, to, to represent that this animal who is spotless and sinless and has done nothing wrong is taking my punishment for sin. So the high priest would take it, they would slaughter, and they would sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, which was to be God's throne here on earth. They would pray for you. They would represent you before God. They would make atonement for your sin through that blood sacrifice. And so, with one word, the role of the high priest was a mediator. It was to mediate between man and God. It was to bring the hand of man and the hand of God together. It was to bring those hands together as a mediator, as a bridge. Now, About two years ago, my wife and I were in San Francisco. We were there for her birthday. We got to hang out. It was awesome. It was a great trip. And while we were there, we got to see this bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, before this bridge was built, it was thought to be impossible to build. Because of the span of the distance between San Francisco and Marin County, which the bridge connects the two, it was thought to be impossible because of the span, because of the wind, because of the seismic activity, uh, because of the waves in in, in the water. It was thought to be impossible to put a bridge here. Yet in 1937, this bridge was completed. About 9,000 feet long, 1.7 miles across. The Golden Gate Bridge, it connects San Francisco to Marin County. And Jesus, our high priest, as our mediator, is our bridge, taking our hand and the hand of God and bridging them and bringing them together. With his outstretched arms, he takes your hand and the hand of God, and he brings them together as your high priest. And so Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, and he said, There is only one mediator between us and God. It's the man, the God-man Christ, Jesus. One mediator. There is no other mediator between us and God. There's only one person who has died on the cross and risen from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. Only one. His name is Jesus. And so Paul says there's only one mediator between God and man. There's not, there's not many. There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God, Paul says, and it's through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the bridge. I'm the mediator. There's only one way to God, and it's through me, your bridge, your mediator, through your high priest. And so we don't need other priests or anyone else to get to God or in our relationship with God. We have one mediator. It's Jesus, the God-man, our bridge to God. So, So what's important about this? Like, why is this a big deal? What does Jesus being our high priest mean? Number one, it means this. It means we have access to God. You have access directly to God. Watch what it says here here in Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse 14, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, remember we're we're reading the red, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and to, in our time of, you have direct access to God. You can come boldly straight to the throne of God because of Jesus. Your high priest. You don't have to go through anyone else. You don't go through me. You don't go through a priest. You don't go through anyone else. You have direct access to God through your high priest, Jesus. You don't have to go through anyone else. Sure. People, other people pray for you and other people can share words with you. Other people can share truth from God's word with you, but you have direct access to God. You don't need anyone else in order to have access to God. We need each other to grow, but you don't need anyone else in order to have access to God. A couple of years ago, Nixon, my daughter, we, we were eating at Spanky's and and that's one of my favorite places to eat, if you if you didn't know that already. And, and so um, we're we're eating at Spanky's, and I, I have to go to the bathroom. And so I, I go to the bathroom, and, and at Spanky's upstairs, the, their bathroom. If you've been there, you know there's a bathroom and there's a door, and it's the restaurant. Okay, there's not a lot of separation there. Okay, so so I'm going to the bathroom, and all of a sudden I hear this pounding on the door, pounding, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what's going on, like. In here, like okay, taken, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden I hear on this pounding on the door. It's dad, (laughs) you know. Some some of you, some of you've been there. Moms, you're like "Uh, it's every day, okay. So so, but but I'm there. It's Spanky's, and it's pounding on the door, dad. And I'm like Nixon, uh, go sit back down. Uh, Daddy's going to the bathroom. Okay, pounding on the door, dad. I need your help. Can't really help you right now, okay. A little bit busy little bit occupied. Okay. She did not care. She didn't care if we were in public. She didn't care about what I was doing. She came boldly to the throne. Okay. Literally. (laughs) She came boldly to the throne to ask her dad for help in her time of need. She came directly to her dad because she knew she could. She could come straight to me. She didn't have to go through anyone else. She didn't have to ask anyone else. She didn't ask anybody at Spanky's or her brothers or or her mom or whatever. She came straight to her father and asked for help because she knew she had access to me. And because I'm her dad, she was confident. She came up just banging. I mean, just straight banging on that door. Dad, I need your help. She was bold. Because she knew her dad loves her and cares for her. And because she's my child, she could come straight to me. Listen, you have direct access the throne of God. And I know you'll never think of that throne in the same way again, but, but you have direct access to the throne of God where you can find help. How many of you need help? Where you can find mercy. How many of us need mercy tonight? Where you can find grace. How many of us need grace tonight? Where you will find someone who empathizes with you in your weakness. How many of us need someone to empathize with us in what we're going through? Guess what? God does. Because you have a high priest who gives you direct access to God. And so you can come straight to him to find Mercy and help and you don't have to worry. You can boldly come straight to God. You have access to him. You don't go through me. You don't go through another priest. You don't go through anyone. You don't go through Mary or Paul or anyone else. You go straight to God through Jesus, your high priest. You have access to God. Secondly, it's important because of this. Now you have security with God. You have security With God. Now, I'm just gonna warn you, okay? We're about to read some Hebrews, okay? When I say we're about to read some Hebrews, like we're gonna read a lot here in just a second. But I wanna warn you because I want you to lean in right now because this is huge. This is huge. What we're about to read connects the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to the New Testament, the New Covenant, like nothing else in the Bible really does. It connects it. It brings it all together. And as you understand this, you will feel this more and more as you understand and get in grasp what we're about to read. So don't miss this. Don't miss it. And it's my prayer as we read this, you will understand it. God will open your eyes to it and it will set you free to know a security that you've never known before, maybe in your life. Watch this Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 21. But he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking about Jesus, are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant, the new covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office, talking about the priest of old, the priests under the old covenant. There was many priests, there was many high priests and they wouldn't continue in office because they died. But because Jesus, watch this, lives forever, he's been risen, he's at the right hand of the Father, he's your high priest forever and he lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives to intercede for you, to pray for you, to plead your cause, to plead your case. As your mediator, as your high priest, that's what Jesus does for you. He intercedes for you. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. This is hearkening back to the tabernacle or to the temple where the priest would offer their sacrifices in order to make Israel right with God. In order to reconcile that relationship because of their sin. Watch this. It says, that was only a copy of the true one that's in heaven. He, Jesus, entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all. Just just capture that in your mind. Jesus has appeared once for all. You're going to see this repeat over and over and over again. Once And for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Our high priest didn't sacrifice something else or an animal in our place. He sacrificed himself with his own blood in our place, taking our sin upon himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once. He was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. He's coming back, our high priest. He's going to return one day. Not to bear sin this time, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers those same sacrifices, which can never really take away sin. In other words, they were just kind of a a temporary appeasement of God's wrath against sin. They couldn't take away sin, but they would reconcile in the short term God's people with God himself. But when this priest had offered for all time, again, when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time, All time, one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, which is huge. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And it says he sat down, symbolizing completion. It's done. It's over. You know, one of the reasons scholars believe there wasn't actually a chair in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place for the high priest, was because there was always sacrifices left to be made for the sins that would be committed in the future. The job wasn't done. But when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, he sat down, symbolizing completion. Some of you know what that's like. You get home from work, you've had a long day with the kids, you know, whatever it is, and you sit down, right? And you take a breath. And when a child comes running, hey, I need this, I need this. No, 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 no. I've sat down, okay. It's time for a break, I'm I'm, I'm done. Jesus sat down, completing his work. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, again, watch this, by one sacrifice, don't miss this last verse. By one sacrifice made for all time, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice for all time, he made perfect, past tense, forever those who are being made holy, those who have given their life to Jesus, their high priest. Don't miss this. If you've given your life to Jesus, then your high priest has made atonement for your sin through the sacrifices of himself once and for all time, for all your sin, past, present, and future. And so you have been made holy. You're like, I'm not holy. Listen, you don't know me, you don't know my life, you don't know what I've done. If you are a follower of Jesus, whether you realize it or not, and this is why this is so huge for your security with God, because if you have given your life to Jesus, you have been made holy. In the past tense, it's already happened. You've been made holy forever into the future. Jesus, once and for all time, died in your place, took on your sin, past, present, and future, and you have been made holy forever. And that cannot change. Ephesians 1 says he's given you his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing your redemption. You can't get get that deposit back. It's a deposit guaranteeing that what he has said is true. You were made his child When you gave your life to Christ, you were made his kid. You were born into your family, but you're born again into a spiritual family. And when you gave your life to Christ, you were born again into his family as his child. And now you've been made perfect forever so that even when you mess up, you're still his child. Your status does not change. You have been made perfect. You have been made holy. You have been made righteous forever. You've been washed clean. Your sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. Though your sin was like scarlet, it was made white as snow. And so Romans 8 says now there is no condemnation. There's none left for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free from sin. And now, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Because once and for all time, your sin was done away with. Is that good news to anyone else besides me? I mean, this is the most amazing stuff I've ever read in my life. This is amazing grace. It's so Amazing. And this is important because some people will say that even though you've given your life to Jesus, you still need to do this or you need to do that in order to pay for your sin, in order to make it right so that God will be pleased with you. That's not what this says. Hebrews says you've been made perfect forever by your faith in Christ you've been made holy and righteous in the sight of God. In Roman Catholicism, there's the belief that when you die, you go to purgatory, where you continue to pay for your sin. And so there was this idea that came up where if you would pay some money, they called it indulgences, then more of your sin would be paid for. Or you could give the indulgence, you could give the money, you could pay the money to the Roman Catholic Church, and and you could help free your family members who were in purgatory, still paying for their sin. You could help free them from purgatory. And so there were all kinds of different practices like this. Where you could pay for your sin here so that you wouldn't have to spend so long in purgatory. One of these practices was scaling the steps, the the holy steps. You'd have to climb on them one step at a time, hand and knee. One step at a time with every step reciting a prayer. And by doing so, when you got to the top of the stairs, you would shorten your time in purgatory and you could free family members from their time in purgatory. It was called the, Holy, or the, the Scala Santa, the Holy Steps. And here's what would happen as you got to the top of the stairs. You could turn around and you could look down and you would see all of these people who were behind you who were crawling up these steps on their hands and knees reciting these prayers. In fact, at those steps today, there are indentions on the steps where people continue to crawl up these steps reciting prayers, thinking it will lessen their time in purgatory and free their family members from purgatory. Martin Luther scaled these steps. He crawled up them. One at a time, he got to the top of the steps, he turned around, he saw all these people going, crawling up the steps, just like he did. He got to the top of these steps and he said he felt no closer to God. And then he began to think, watching this crowd of people crawl on their hands and knees to the top of these steps, he then began to think, I don't see this in the Bible anywhere. And he went back and he began to study his Bible and, and, read the book of Romans and, and Hebrews. And Martin Luther came away from that experience, studying the Bible, studying the scripture and realizing, no, 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 that's not how we're made right with God. We are made right with God by faith alone, because of God's grace alone in Christ alone. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back that would lead to the Protestant reformation. Because Martin Luther got to the top of these stairs and he thought, this isn't right. This isn't right. We don't have to work our way to God. We don't have to punish ourselves in order to make ourselves right with God or to reduce the fine that we'll be paying in purgatory one day. This isn't right. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we add anything else to that, what we're saying is that Christ's death was not sufficient to pay for our sin. Christ's death was sufficient to pay completely for your sin. It's why Jesus, before he died, said, It is finished, it's done. It's the Greek word telestai, which meant the charges that are against you for the record of your wrongdoings, for your law-breaking, have been paid in full. That's what it means. Tetelestai means paid in full. Your sin has been paid in full on the cross, and Jesus said it's finished. Tetelestai, it's been paid in full. There's no more sacrifice to be made. There's no more punishment to be had You are secure with God because of what your high priest has done for you and accomplished for you on your behalf. And then last is this, and here's where we'll end our time, is that we now have peace with God. We have peace with God because of what our high priest has done for us. Some of you know that in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, there's the story of the flood, where God gets so upset with the wickedness and the sinful of man that he brings this flood, but he, he finds favor with Noah and his family, and so they build this ark, and they get in the ark, and the, and the waters come, and, and the earth is flooded, and it says that everything that has breath died except for Noah and his family who were saved in the ark. Well, the waters begin to go down, and Noah sends out these birds to see if they bring anything back to let them know that the waters have receded. It's safe to to get out. And so they send out this raven, and they don't really they don't see it again. And they send out this dove, and the dove comes back and can't find anywhere to land. And and then he sends it out again, and it comes back with a Branch. It was an olive branch. And that olive branch symbolized to Noah that God's wrath against sin was done, it was over. Many, many years later, Jesus the Son of God would kneel and pray at the Mount of Olives under a canopy of olive trees, symbolizing through his death on the cross our olive branch, that God's wrath was fulfilled in the cross of Jesus. And we now have peace with God. You might remember last week we read in Isaiah 53 that it said about the Messiah, the Messiah who would come would be pierced for our transgressions and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Romans 5 says it like this. We're God's enemies because of our sin. Ephesians 2 says it like this, that because of our sin, we are objects of the wrath of God. But when our high priest was pierced for our transgressions and when the punishment that we deserved was put on him, it brought us peace. Peace. Peace with God. Jesus, our olive branch, made peace between us and God. By taking on the wrath of God upon himself. And so Second Corinthians 5 says this. He took our sin. Him who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become, we might receive the righteousness of God. Jesus, our high priest, makes peace with God for us. And some of you are here tonight, and you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to understand and realize The Bible says, until you give your life to Jesus, you're actually God's enemy and you will experience his wrath against sin. If you were to die tonight and stand before him. But tonight you could give your life to Jesus and Jesus will take your hand and he will join it with God's hand and you will have peace with God and you will have your sin forgiven and you will be made holy forever. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. There's that security. You can know for sure if you would give your life to Jesus tonight. And so here's the one thing I I, I want you to see tonight. Here's what I want you to get from all of this, okay? It's that the high priest paid for my peace with his piercings. The high priest paid my peace In full for my peace with his piercings. You know, Mary and Joseph, we said we could imagine, we could guess that there had to be some shame and guilt that would have caused them to want to hide from Jesus. Kind of like Adam and Eve did right in the garden. They sinned against God. It says they ran and hid. But because Jesus is our high priest, fully man and fully God, we don't have to run and hide when we sin. We can do what Peter did. Remember, Peter denied Christ. It says he broke down weeping over his sin. And he doesn't really get to talk to Jesus before Jesus dies on the cross. I mean, imagine being Peter. You deny your Lord and Savior and you don't really get to talk to him again and and make it right before he's dead. He's dead. Well, Jesus rises from the grave, and he is revealing himself. He's showing himself. He's proving that he's risen from the dead. And, and the disciples are in this boat, and they're fishing. And it says they're about 100 yards out from shore. And they look on the shore, and they see Jesus. And they're like, that's Jesus. That's him. We can, we can see him. That's Jesus. And Peter, the one who denied Christ, it says that he jumped out of the boat into the water and he's running to shore and you know he had to be thinking i denied him i denied him and he died for me anyways i denied him and he's risen again most of us in our sin we run from jesus but not peter in this moment he's running to jesus the one he denied and he gets to shore, and you would think that when he gets to Jesus, that Jesus would say, what were you thinking? How could you? I mean, that's the way most of us view God, right? How could you do such a thing, Peter? After all that I've done for you, after all that I've shown you, how could you deny me like that, Peter? But that's not what happens. Peter runs to shore to see Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus... Jesus says, Peter, let's take a walk. And they go for a walk. Here comes the judgment, right? Here comes the why could you, how could you do this? Here comes why. What were you thinking? I mean, here, right, here, here it comes. And Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says a second time, do you love me, Peter? And you could imagine being Peter and the brokenness that would have been in your heart. He says, yes, Lord, I know, you, you, you know that I, that I love you. And Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Peter didn't run from Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. And so here's my challenge for you tonight. It's this, it's don't hide from Jesus, seek Jesus. Don't hide, seek him. He's your high priest. He lives to intercede for you. He wants to help you. You don't have to hide from him when you mess up or when you're feeling insecure or when you're feeling shame or guilt. You don't have to hide from him like Adam and Eve did. You can run to him. You can seek him like Peter did. And here's why. Because hiding brings pain, it just brings more pain. But seeking him, your high priest brings peace because he will give you grace and mercy and help when you need it most. A couple years ago, my family and I were in Port Aransas. We were there for, just to go to the beach and hang out on vacation and uh, we were on this pirate ship and they're doing this play and doing all this goofy stuff and, and they involved the kids and, and Nixon was down on this lower deck and they had them like acting like they were mopping the deck, you know? And so they're down there and I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna go down and get video of this. So I, I run down the steps and I got my phone out and I'm already videoing her. And when I get up to her, she says, what? Go away, go away. Like embarrassed, you know, cause her dad was, was coming to be with her. She said, go away. So I was like, oh, oh gosh, like she's she's mad. And so so I turn around, I start walking up the steps. And as I'm walking up the steps, I'm not gonna leave her. Okay, I'm not gonna, you know, totally leave her, but I'm I'm kind of separating myself. Like she doesn't want me around. I'm gonna separate myself. So I start going up the steps, and as I'm going up the steps with my back turned to her, she goes, Where are you going? Come back. Like, what? I mean, guys. Help me, I mean, some of you guys know, it's like, what, what do you do with girls, right? I mean, it's like one minute they don't want you around, the next minute they do want you around. So, so I turn around on the steps and I come back down and I was still videotaping. And as I came back down those steps, here's what I saw. She didn't want to be with me. when she realized she was all by herself, she wanted her dad back. Because she realized she was alone. There was gonna be no one there to be there for her and to help her. Some of you tonight, you've been running from God. You've been running because of your sin, your shame, your guilt. And I just want you to know tonight that your dad Your heavenly Father is here tonight saying, seek me, come to me and find the peace and the security that you're longing for. You have direct access to me. Come to me. Would you pray with me? God, I know there's people here tonight and they don't have, they don't feel this peace that we're talking about, this security that we're talking about, this access that we're talking about. And God, tonight, would you just remind them from your word? Because our high priest who lives forever has once and for all done away with our sin and made us holy for all time, forever. That they have direct access to you right now. They have direct access to you tonight. And they can be secure tonight in their relationship with you, knowing that they're your kids. And Just because they mess up doesn't mean they're not your kids anymore. And I pray that tonight, because of the peace they already have with you through Jesus Christ, their high priest, would you move in our hearts tonight, God, and draw us to yourself. That we would come seeking. We would come running after you, just like Peter did. That we would stop hiding. That we would run to you. We would fix our thoughts on our high Priest. Jesus, who paid for our peace with his piercings. Would you stand? Our team's going to lead us in a time of worship. And as you stand, I want you to know tonight that God's peace isn't supposed to end with you. It's not supposed to end with you. God brings peace to you so that you will bring it to other people. We're supposed to be pipelines of peace. It's not supposed to end with us. When Jesus was on the cross, as people were nailing him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, the great news about Jesus being our high priest is that he didn't come here to be right. He came here to make things right, to reconcile us to God. He didn't come here to take us side. He came here to walk alongside us. And as we experience that, we shouldn't be able to help but do that for other people and to do that with other people, to not be so concerned about being right, but to make things right, to come alongside other people and to be a pipeline. Of peace, And so some of you are here tonight, and you are at war. You are at war. There is chaos, there is brokenness in your marriage, or at work, or with a friend, or with a family member, and God is calling you tonight to be a pipeline of that peace. And to not be so concerned about being right, because chances are you're probably both wrong, but to make things right, and to come alongside them so that you can rejoice in the peace of God Together. God, would you make us pipelines of peace tonight? That we would be so overwhelmed with your peace, and that we as the offender, we as the offender, God, you took steps to us to make things right. And so, God, we praise you for that. We worship you for that. But let it not end there. Let it flow through us that we might be reconciled through the power of Jesus' name with everyone around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.